Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Man, it's so good being part of a church that has vision beyond our walls and part of what God is doing around the globe. And I just think being part of church planting in every way, shape, or form is the best thing. And uh, last year as a church, we got to invest over $7,000 into the work of El Aviva. And so that's your giving and your generosity. And by God's grace, we believe that'll grow year over year as we continue to invest in what God's doing, not just here, but around the world. And that's very exciting. Well, this is our last week of our series in the book of James entitled Be Better. And uh, Pastor Ben seems to be excited that it's over, and maybe you feel that way, but uh, I think this is an easy one. I don't think this is too hard, this one. But I hope you've enjoyed this. I love, like the, I think I said this on week one, like the, the longer I've been a pastor, the more I love those seasons where we, we just study and work our way through a book of the Bible. Because I think it does something really unique and formative in us as a community as we just follow the train of thought and say, man, like Christians have been sitting under this teaching. And we do this every week when we open the Bible. But there's something even unique about studying a letter in the New Testament to see, man, Christians have sat under this teaching for generations and been formed by its truth. And so I hope that it's been encouraging to you. I hope that uh, it's stirred things in your heart. I hope it has been challenging for you as it has been for me. Just a reminder as we move through, this author, James, is the brother of Jesus. He became a prominent leader in the early church, particularly in the city of Jerusalem. And he's writing to his congregation who had become scattered across the region because of persecution. And he's writing to them to encourage them and equip them to follow Jesus in the midst of this new season that they were in. Moved away from their center of community and religious life, they were now learning to follow Jesus in the midst of pressure and persecution. And he writes to them as a pastor to say, hey, I want you to continue to follow Jesus and I want to equip you to follow Jesus in the midst of these things. And the big idea that's been woven through every sermon, it's woven throughout the entire letter of James is this, is that following Jesus is about more than just having a right set of beliefs. Right belief is important, but right belief must lead to right living. Right belief must inform the actions of our life as followers of Jesus. And so the thrust or the idea of this whole, whole series has been how do we close the gap between what we believe about Jesus and what our life looks like as we follow Jesus? Does what I say I believe about Jesus, is that reflected in my life as I follow him? And so this letter has been hard-hitting at times. It's deeply practical, pushing us to move beyond empty religious motions, to live a life that's evidenced by faith and works as we follow Jesus. If you've missed any of them, you can jump on our podcast or YouTube and get caught up. We're going to look together this morning at the last words of James in this letter. If you have a Bible, you can open up to James chapter 5. And we're going to read from verse 13 to verse 20. And it says this, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? 
Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Jesus, we invite you into these moments we have under your word to speak to us, to encourage us, and ultimately, God, we ask that you would transform us. We know that your word is powerful, and so we open our hearts to receive what you want to say to us through what you've always been saying. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you, what's your response, your first response, when something goes wrong in your life? What's that, like, first reaction that you have? Like, when your tire goes flat on the highway, what's your response in that moment? What's your response when you run out of money, but there's still some month left? <laughs> what do you do in, in that moment? What's your response when you step back and realize like this career trajectory I thought I was on is not on the right trajectory anymore? What's your response in moments when life doesn't go well? Are you someone who like easily becomes like, overwhelmed and stressed and anxious? Do you get angry when things don't go right? Do you look for somebody else to blame for the problem that you find yourself in? Do you ask someone for help? You see, our first response says a lot about what we believe about something. Our first response is a clue, an indication into what we put hope in. If my first response to delay in my life is to lose my temper, it might be saying that I believe the world is meant to work perfectly for me and revolve around me. If my first response to pain in my life is to try to numb it somehow, to turn to things like substance, like alcohol or drugs or TV or food or sleep or whatever it might be, it's saying that perhaps I think those things are good comforters in the midst of my pain. If my first response to not having enough is to become overwhelmed with stress and anxiety, it might be saying I see no hope in the situation that I find myself in. In these last verses of James' letter, he's asking his readers to consider what their first response is when faced with different circumstances in life. What's our first response? And he says, as followers of Jesus who are maturing in our faith, that we are invited to make prayer our first response in every situation. We sang that song just a little while ago in our service. What a privilege to bring everything to God in prayer. This is the heart of what James is inviting us into and challenging us with today. He's asking, is prayer our first response? 
You see, at least in my life, I won't speak for you, I'll speak for me. Often in my life, prayer is not my first response. Often my first response when life doesn't go well is to try to find comfort or pleasure in other things. I'm guilty of trying to find solutions to problems under every other rock. And if those don't pan out, then maybe I'll remember to pray. See, I think if we were to sit down and have a conversation, not many of us would, would argue that prayer is unimportant. And, and not many of us would probably make the argument that prayer doesn't work. But our actions often tell a different story. We'd say, yes, prayer is important, but what happens when we need to pray? What happens when life isn't working? What happens in those moments? That tells us a lot about what we actually believe when it comes to prayer. We run to so many other things often before we pray because we tend to see prayer as a last resort and not a first response. And what does this response say about what we actually believe about God? When my first response is to find comfort in other things, I'm saying at least at some level that I believe God can't bring me comfort in these places. When my first response is to find solutions in every other place, at least at some level, I'm saying I believe that God is unable or unwilling to help me in my place of need. So I have to look other places. But James gives us this beautiful reminder and invitation today to make our first response in every situation to pray. James is encouraging us to pray in every circumstance. But prayer is not just prayer, is it? At least it's not meant to be. Prayer is always meant to be more than prayer because prayer is meant to be about relationship. God is not some taskmaster in the sky that's watching every move we make just to make sure we follow the rules. He's not some genie that we just come to, to to get things from. He's not a vending machine that if we give some money at church and sing, like, hit the right buttons, that we get what we need from him. What God really wants is relationship with you and me. He wants to be involved in the details of our life, big and small. He wants to be close, but he also waits for an invitation from us. So James is encouraging us not to forget that the point of all of this is to know Jesus. When we say pray, that's not just a, again, it's not just a motion we go through. It's not a trick. It's not a formula. It's about knowing Jesus. It's about who do we run to in the circumstances of life. This is the crux of what James is saying. As followers of Jesus, prayer can be our first response and not our last resort. And in the text, he lays out four key areas in which prayer can be our first response. And this morning, we don't have time to go into depth into all of them, but I want to just share a short thought on each of them. The first is this. James says, pray for everything. Pray for everything. He kind of starts broad. He says this in verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. James lays out two scenarios that I think are meant to just capture the whole of life. Like if you can imagine life as a spectrum, he says, he starts on one end. He says, are you in trouble? Other translations say, are you suffering? Pray. And then he goes to the full other end of the spectrum. He says, is anyone happy? 
Sing songs of praise. Go to God with all of these things. Pray about it. The implication is this, is that no matter where we find ourselves on the spectrum of life, pray. Go to God. Anywhere from trouble to suffering and everything in between, our first response can be to pray. I wonder if you would define part of your life, at least a piece of your life, as trouble today or suffering. Are you in trouble? Are you hurting? If so, the invitation for you and for me is to run to God with our trouble, in our trouble. I think sometimes I don't go to God in trouble because I think at some level I'm the reason I'm in trouble. That it's my mistakes that got me to this place. Or I think that God let me find like, myself in this trouble. Here's the thing. God isn't concerned about why we're in the trouble. He already knows. Do you know that? He sees it. He's like, ah, that was silly. Shouldn't have done that. That's okay. But he's not standing away trying to scald us in that moment. He wants to be invited in. And God is so faithful to meet us in our trouble. And so prayer doesn't need to be our only response to trouble in our life. But it certainly shouldn't be our last resort. But life isn't always trouble, is it? There are seasons of trouble, but life also brings great seasons of joy and happiness. And sometimes it's in these seasons of life that we forget to go to God at all. Like at one level, it's like if things get bad enough, okay, I'll go to God and I'll pray. Like if I've got nothing else, then I'll pray about those things. But sometimes when life is going well, when life is full of joy, we don't pay God any attention at all. And what does that say about my relationship with God if when life brings joy and happiness, I don't talk to him about it at all? It probably reveals a shallow and transactional relationship with God only. Because if you're like me, when good things happen in my life, I want to share those with the people I love most. Man, if something happens, like I'm in the car, I'm calling somebody to tell them about it. I want to share that. I want to talk about it. What does it say about my relationship with God when things go good and I don't talk to him about it? It's revealing something about my relationship with Jesus when I don't go to him in these moments. I think that's why James includes happiness, the other end of this spectrum, as an occasion to pray because he knows our tendency to forget. But every occasion, from trouble to happiness and everything in between, is the right occasion to pray, to go to God, to include God in your trouble, include God in your joy, include him in the boring, mundane things in the middle. Invite God into those spaces. Pray for everything. So do you find yourself in everything right now, in anything? Somewhere on that spectrum, you do. Talk to God about it. That's the invitation. As followers of Jesus who want to know Jesus, talk to him about it. He starts by saying, pray for everything. Next, he talks about, he says, pray for the sick. Verse 14, he says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. 
If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's a lot going on in these verses. A lot of preaching has been done from these verses. Some very good, some not so good, probably. We don't have time to get into all of it. But what James is not saying is that there's some secret formula to get healing. If you just do step one and step two and step three, then boom, you're done. And if you don't, then you must have messed up step one, two, or three. He's not, he's not saying that. Nor is he saying when he talks about sickness that we should only pray for physical sickness. I think James is getting at a broader picture here. Because if James was only talking about physical sickness, there was a, there's other Greek words he could have used that were crystal clear that he was talking about physical illness. But he chooses a different word that includes physical sickness, but also speaks to like a weariness of our soul or a weariness in life. In other words, James is saying to his readers, like, are you weary in your life? Is your soul sick? Is your body ill? Are your relationships broken? If so, pray about it. If so, pray about it. See, we believe God is a God who loves to bring healing to broken things in our lives. We believe God can heal physically. We, we know that God wants to heal our emotions, that God wants to bring healing to our souls and our, our relationships. Not only does he want to do it, he's able. He's able to step into these things and places of our life. And so when we experience sickness in any part of our life, our first response can be to go to God. Again, this is not our only response. It's not wrong to take medicine. It's not wrong to see a therapist. It's not wrong to do other good things that, that help heal us. These are very good things to do. But don't leave God to the last resort in your healing. Invite him into that. Invite him into the journey of making you whole in every way. James even goes a step further and says, this is an occasion that you should invite other people into that healing journey with you. First, he says, call the leaders of the church and have them pray. If we are in Christ, we are part of the body of Christ, which means we need not suffer alone through life. We need not carry burdens and illness in our any way alone. We can invite people into those places to pray for us. And then he says, confess your sins one to another and receive forgiveness. If you've sinned, confess it to other people. This is part of the way that God heals us. This is part of the way that God brings wholeness to our souls is that when we start to live in transparency with brothers and sisters in Christ. Confess your sins one to another. Quick note on that. You do not have to confess your sins just to anybody. You can use wisdom in who you do that with. Like, sometimes... You don't want to hear this, but your friends are not smart people or often sometimes not even trustworthy people. They can still be your friends. You just shouldn't let them into that part of your life yet. Find mature people in your life that are going to push you the right way. They're going to push you to repentance. They're going to push you towards Jesus. They're going to walk with you in that part of healing. Confess your sins to one another. James says, make prayer one of your first responses when you're sick. Because God is willing and able to heal sick things in our life. 
And I'll say this too. Sometimes God heals in a moment. I've seen it. But sometimes God walks us on a journey of healing. Both are powerful. Both are divine. Both are the ways that God works. Just invite him into the sickness in your life. So do you feel sick today? Is your soul sick and weary? Do you have an issue in your body? God would love to meet you in those places of brokenness today. Invite him in. So pray about everything. Pray for the sick. Third, he talks about praying for the world. Starting in verse 16, partway through, it says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. James says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful, and it works. What he's not saying, when he talks about being a righteous person, he's not talking about some spiritual elitist. Like there's some who are righteous and have it all figured out and the rest of us are just meant to figure it out on our own. He's simply talking about those who have been made righteous through Jesus. So if we're in Christ, our righteousness is not our own. It's through Jesus. He gives us his own righteousness. So the prayer of a righteous person is effective. When righteous people pray, things happen. And he uses this example of Elijah, who he says was a human just like us. The background of what he's referring to in this reference is found in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. King Ahab and Jezebel had led the people of God astray. The nation was full of idol worship. Then they engaged in detestable practices. And God used Elijah in his work of disciplining his people and bringing them back to his own heart. It says that Elijah prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. It was a means of God bringing judgment on the evil that had crept into his nation and discipline to his people. And then after three and a half years, Elijah prayed again and the rain fell and the land returned to produce its crops and all of its fruitfulness. I think the point is this, is that Elijah saw things happening in his nation. Elijah saw things happening in the world around him, things that were broken. And his response was to pray. And when he prayed, God did something. What's your response when you see broken things in the world around you? Like you don't have to look far to see things, systems that are broken, people who seem evil, images that are contrary to the ways and heart of God. Like you just have to pull your phone out and we're inundated with things that are broken in the world around us. And when you see those things and there's certain issues for all of us that grieve our hearts, there's certain issues that, 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 that hit at a deeper level. What's your response when you get that post? What's your response when you hear that, 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 that news report, when you see that headline? What's your response in those moments? Like, is it to post something on social media about it? Here's my thoughts. Is it to become angry or disillusioned at the state of the world? Or is our first response to pray about it? I think we need to do a lot more praying about the state of our world and a little less talking about the state of our world. When my first response is to get angry or engage in some debate online or whatever it might be, what am I saying about what I believe in that moment? I think I'm saying 
that at some level I believe my words have more power to fix the situation than God does. When that's my first response is to just say something or get angry, it's saying that my words must have more power than God does to heal the brokenness in the world around me. But when prayer is my first response, I'm saying something. I'm saying I believe that God is the one who truly holds the power to change things around me. Again, there may be other responses. There may be other ways you engage in the things that are happening in the world. But may prayer be our first response as the people of God. There's much that's broken about our world. But our first response as followers of Jesus can be to pray. Lastly, James encourages encourages us to pray for the wandering. The last two verses of his letter, he says, My brothers and sisters... If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I love these last words that James pens in this letter. I find them beautiful. He says, pray for those who wander from the truth. He doesn't explicitly use the word prayer, but the implication of his thought is clear to me. He says, if we're going to pray for the sick and if we're going to pray for like in trouble and in happiness, if we're going to pray for the world around us, then we should also pray for those who wander from the truth. Like, I think it's likely for most of us, if we've followed Jesus any length of time, that we know people who once followed Jesus. And for whatever reason, all kinds of circumstances have wandered from that. Their faith has been shaken. And sometimes we can have a really poor response when that happens. Sometimes we just get angry at them. Sometimes we we cast weird shadow or shade towards people who wander. Sometimes we can write them off or we can just become discouraged and shaken by all of it. But again... What if our first response was to pray? Jesus says that he is the good shepherd. He says he's the one who who leaves the 99 to go after the one who has wandered. That's his heart. And he invites you and I into that work along with him. And sometimes that looks like beautiful, loving conversations with people. and, And sometimes it simply means that we pray that the good shepherd would find those who are wandering. When I was growing up, we used to have this weird thinking about this sometimes where maybe I picked it up weird. But we used to like pray kind of horrible things for people who wandered. Where it would be like, God, pray that they'd hit rock bottom. I pray that nothing in their life would go well. I pray that food would even taste bad. I made that one up. I don't know. We pray these weird things that like, God, I pray that things would go so bad that they have no other option than to come back. I don't think that's a good way of praying for those who wander. I think we need to pray that the kindness of Jesus would lead them to repentance. Why? Because that's what the Bible says the kindness of Jesus does, is it leads us to repentance. And what if we just prayed, God, today, would they recall all day long the goodness of their father who welcomes them home in any moment this is a beautiful place that James ends this letter 
Because remember, James is a pastor. And he says, I know that people wander for all kinds of reasons, but my heart as a pastor, James would say, is that those who wander would be led back home. So maybe there's someone in your life that's wandering. How often are you praying for them? Maybe you just become discouraged by it. Can I encourage you today to pray some more? Just pray again. Trust the good shepherd. You don't have to work up and, and feel like it's all on you to, to lead them anywhere. Like, trust the good shepherd. But pray. Rest of the worship team, you can join us on the platform. So James says, our first response as followers of Jesus can be to pray. Are you in trouble or happiness or anywhere in between? Pray. Are you sick? Pray. Are you disturbed by the state of the world? Pray. Is somebody wandering? Pray. Why is prayer the first response? Because prayer is all about relationship. James is using these last words to remind his readers that all of this is ultimately about something bigger. It's about knowing Jesus. Man, all the things James talks about, all the things that just like hit us, all the things about like do this and make sure all, none of it matters if it's not anchored on knowing Jesus, if it's not built on relationship with Jesus, it's just religion and performance. If that's not where everything flows from, that's why he encourages us to, to pray in all situations, come to God in everything. It's not some magic trick. It's the means by which we have relationship with Jesus. And when prayer is our first response, it speaks to what I most deeply believe which is what this whole series has been about. Letting our actions be shaped by that which we believe. So over the course of these last eight weeks, we've talked a lot of, about a lot of important things, how to endure trials and temptations. We've talked a bit about caring for the poor and favoritism in the church and how to deal with pride and being doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. We've talked about taming the tongue. We've talked about faith and works. We've talked about how do we plan for the future. Lots of practical things, all in an attempt to close that gap between our belief and our real actions. But let us not miss the point today. Let us not adopt the lifestyle of Jesus without knowing Jesus. He's the point of all of it. And perhaps James invites us into the intimacy of prayer because he knows that that's where salvation begins. It's a space where we can be reminded of our first love over and over and over again. It's the space that we can maintain our priorities as we walk through life. And if this can become the posture of our life, we will become people who know how to consider it joy when we walk through trials. We will become people who know how to endure temptations. We will become people who know how to deal with favoritism and where that creeps up in our heart. We'll know how to have a faith that's evidenced by works in our life. We'll know how to do all these things. And so as we respond and close this series, we all get to respond in some way today. We have a moment to set our hearts towards Jesus again. James concludes this letter by saying, pray about everything. Like, go to God about anything. Come to him. And so whatever is top of mind for you in your life today, 
that's occasion to talk to God. It's like, I'm stressed about this. Talk to God about it. I'm worried about this. I'm talk, talk to God about it. I'm so excited about this. Talk to God about it. I'm sick. Talk to God about it. I'm worried about this person in my life. Talk to God about it. Can we stand? The team's going to lead us in a song of worship as we close. I just want to encourage you to do what James encourages us to do. Pray about it. That thing that's top of mind, the thing that's heavy on your heart, the thing that's got you so excited about life. As we sing, would you talk to God about it? Invite him into it. And remind yourself as we close this whole series about what it's always been about. It's about knowing Jesus. And so Jesus, you know every situation represented in this room and online today. You know the things that we're carrying. You know the things that we are full of joy about. You know all of these things. And you're so willing to step into those along with us. And so Jesus, as we worship and sing, we invite you into those spaces. And we ask that we would not leave here and even as we conclude this series with a list of demands that we need to meet or a to-do list to check off, but would it all point us back to what it's always been about? It's about knowing you, Jesus. So come and fill this space, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond in worship. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.